get those Bibles and let's open them up to 1 John chapter 2. Once you find your place there, I'm going to also encourage you to also find John chapter 17. I'll get to that towards the end of the message. So you know that when we get to John chapter 17, I'm almost done. So 1 John chapter 2, John chapter 17, just a, a quick check-in, a little accountability, and let's kind of give me a little bit of feedback. Uh, at the very beginning of this whole message series, I challenged and encouraged you uh, to make a commitment to read through First uh, John in its entirety at least once a week. Uh, so check-in time. Uh, how many of you are faithful in completing that task? Raise your hand. Yeah, it's kind of what I expect would happen. Come on now. Let's get after it. Let's read and let's study. Let's love his word. I can't wait to unpack this this morning. Now last week we talked about how uh, if we claim to know him, then we must walk as Jesus walked. Often we kind of compare our spiritual lives to other people. Uh, at least I'm doing better than, than so-and-so. Well, that comparison to other people is dangerous, uh, mainly because it's just wrong. The comparison that we should be giving ourselves is in comparison to our Lord. The command is to walk as Jesus walked. So uh, Jesus is the perfect pattern for how we should live our daily lives. In the first two chapters of 1 John, there are at least five references to people that claim this or to a person that, that claims that. And uh, each time the idea that's being conveyed is that claims ultimately, uh, they don't really mean that much. Anyone can claim anything. In fact, people claim anything like all the time nowadays. Uh, one of John's major themes is that a person's lifestyle, how they live, supersedes whatever the individual's lips might confess. And so, no matter what we say, or no matter how loudly we might say it, we do not truly know God if we do not truly love one another. So God is love. Therefore, anyone who knows God is bound by love and through love to love one another. And that's the issue that John is going to bring to our attention this morning. So let's begin in verse number 7. He says, Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. And then in verse number 8, he says, On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So first of all, in verse number 7, he says he's giving them an old commandment. John doesn't come right out and say what it is that he's talking about. He doesn't come right out and say the commandment to which he is referring to, at least not immediately. What he says about this commandment is that it is an old commandment. It's not something that's new. And it's one that they've heard from the beginning of time. You can go back as early as in Leviticus chapter 19. 
In fact, in Leviticus 19, verse number 18, it says that you shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you should love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The commandment that John is referring to is the commandment of love, and he's going to unpack that specifically in the verses that follow. And so if the commandment of love has been with man from the beginning of time, it is the old commandment. So how can the old commandment that's been with us from the beginning of time also be a new commandment? How can it be both old and new? So as I just read, and this old command is found in Leviticus chapter 19, but it's also found and proclaimed through the Gospels. In John chapter 15, verse number 12, Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So the question, how can an old command also be understood as a new command? Well, we need to understand that when the old command is the command of love, then we need to ask ourselves, well, what's so new about love now? The answer is, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus gave love a whole new meaning, or maybe it's better to say Jesus gave love a a crystal clear meaning. And so Jesus loved, uh, he loved uh, not just his friends, Jesus loved his enemies. Jesus loved the righteous, and he loved the unrighteous. Jesus uh, loved the the good people, and he loved the bad people. He loved the acceptable people, and he loved the people that were rejected. He loved the clean people, and he loved the dirty ones as, as well. Jesus said himself in John chapter 13, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, you also love one another. Then in verse number 35, he says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus just said an astonishing thing here. He he just said that people can tell that we truly belong to him, not because they see our cars parked in the parking lot of a church on a Sunday morning, He says that people can tell that we truly belong to him and are his disciples by our love for one another, by how we care for each other, by our thoughtfulness towards one another, by the respect that we show to each other, by the great care and consideration that we demonstrate towards each other. Jesus says this is the marker that will reveal to the world that you truly belong to me. And so one of the ways that our discipleship and that our our knowledge of God, one of the ways that that can be measured is seen by how we love one another. In light of John chapter 13 verses 34 and 35, it's easy to conclude that all of the commandments can be summed up in one statement, and that's namely, love one another. Love God, love one another. So Jesus designated love as the identification mark of the believer's life. There's no other command, 
there's no other practice that you can find in Scripture that so clearly and concisely wraps up what it means to truly know God and to live a life that reflects that knowledge. There's no other statement that is as clear as the statement and the command to love one another. And this is exactly what John is saying in uh, 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 8. This new commandment, which is, he says the phrase, which is true in him and in you. Which is true in Jesus as it is in the believer. So the person who truly knows God has the love of God in them. The love of God dwells not only in Christ, but the love of God dwells in the life in the heart of a believer. And so that love that we show towards one another demonstrates to the world that the light of Jesus still shines among the darkness of this world. And remember, as I said last week, to fully understand this letter, we have to continually remind ourselves that John is writing to address or to correct problems of belief and behavior. So every word of the letter comes in response to something that the church or an individual in the church needed to hear. And so here, John is specifically addressing the situation in which someone was claiming to be a believer, and yet they were withholding love towards another believer. And John identifies that withholding of love as hatred that they were hating another believer. Look at verse number 9. It says that the one who says that he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. You can understand that those two contrasts cannot coexist. One cannot have life and, I'm sorry, one cannot have light and complete darkness simultaneously at the same time. It, it doesn't happen. It can't happen. One cannot love and hate the same individual. So this verse teaches that a person who claims to be in the light, that's the language that goes back to uh, chapter 1, verse number 7, for the person who claims to be in the light, that person should then, by extension of the fact that they are in the light, that that person should be filled with love. In fact, overflowing with love. So if a person makes the claim that they're a believer, that they know Christ and follow God, and that person also withholds love from other believers or hates other believers, well then that person's claim to truly know God is a false claim. It's not true. It's not accurate. Because you can't withhold love and still claim to be walking in the right fellowship with God, to be living in the light. And John uses that word hate. I want you to understand that that word hate could be translated as to detest or to abhor. I think it's important to realize that the word hate refers less to an emotion and more towards the underlying attitude that causes people to ignore 
or to despise someone else. It's the underlying attitude that, that leads us to uh, mistreat individuals. It's an underlying attitude that, that causes us to treat other people, other believers, as though they're our enemy, as though they, they're our opposition. See, walking in the light has no place for hatred. Now, we got to realize that John's concept of love and hatred is often different than what we consider love and, and hatred. We might say, well, I, I don't necessarily love the individual, but because I don't love them, that doesn't necessarily mean that I hate them. You ever heard that? Express that? Just because I love them doesn't mean I don't hate them. Ours is an attitude of indifference or, or being neutral. But, but John, John would have none of that. He, he wouldn't buy into that argument at all. His concept of love would include caring for the needs of other people, even to the point of self-sacrifice on our part. John's concept of love has absolutely no room for indifference or apathy. To John, it is crystal clear, either you love or you hate. Those are the two options. There's no neutrality there that you can camp out in and, and try to think, well, at least I'm good. I don't love them and I don't hate them. I'm just indifferent towards them. No, indifference is hatred. And so those who hate other believers... Or maybe let me phrase it this, this way. Those who withhold the proper display of love towards other de- believers, those individuals are selfish and hypocritical. They're selfish and they're hypocritical because they refuse to grant mercy and forgiveness to others while they themselves will claim it in their own lives. And that's what makes them hypocritical. Look at verse number 10. It says that the one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. So as the the opposite to verse number 9, verse number 10 explains that, uh, that actions, our actions reveal our faith. Anyone who loves other believers is someone who is truly walking in the light. Therefore, failure to live in the light places oneself in darkness, and in darkness, people will trip up. They'll, they'll stumble. They'll, 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 they'll fall. They'll make great mistakes. I think this is a beautiful analogy that John uses to paint the picture of what's happening. The one who lives in the light has no reason to stumble because the light reveals the direction that they're supposed to take. And so as a believer, if we're walking in the light, then we can see by the direction that Jesus gives to us, the the right path for us to take, the right actions for us to pursue, the right things for us to do, that light will expose the right things for us, and we can walk in obedience to the light. In verse number 11, he goes on to say, but the one who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness. 
He doesn't know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So, so they're, they're in darkness, they're walking in darkness, and they're also clueless about the darkness that they're in and the darkness that they're walking in. I mean, this verse repeats and expands what was said in verse number 9. Those who hate other believers are described not only as being in darkness, he just describes them as also walking in it. And so this means, look at the next phrase. It makes it clear. The next phrase says that he does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And so people who withhold their love towards other believers, people who hate other believers, walk in a realm in which sinful behavior predominate their lives. And they're clueless to it. Because the darkness is is confusing them and it's leading them down the wrong path. Our own sinful behavior, and in this case, in the realm of of hatred, that, that sinful behavior has blinded their eyes, and now they don't know what they're doing or, or why they're doing it. They're caught in this pattern of sin, and it's destructive in their lives. The New, the New Testament is clear, not just in this text. The New Testament is, is saturated with directions on how we're supposed to treat one another. It is crystal clear as you read through the text that God's command for us is for us to love one another. Love selflessly, sacrificially to love one another. Let me just give you a brief reading of some of those commands if I can. Places like uh, Romans chapter 13 Verse number 8, it says to owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. That's the debt that we should embrace. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 22 says, Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren fervently love one another from the heart. 1 John chapter 3, verse number 11 says, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Same language, same, same wording. Further in chapter 3, in verse number 23, he says, This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Get into chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse number 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Verse number 11 of chapter 4 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Second John chapter 5 says, uh, I'm sorry, Second John verse 5 says, Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have heard from the very beginning. It's the same language. The, the same thing that we've heard from the very beginning, that we love one another. 
one more place. John chapter 15, verse number 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. The love that we're commanded to give to one another is a self-sacrificing love. It, it is the attitude and the lifestyle of servanthood is what we're to display towards one another. In fact, loving one another can be defined as selfless giving, and that selfless giving extends not just to our friends, not just to our family, but it goes beyond that, and it begins to extend itself to our enemies, to those that, that persecute us, to those that mock and uh, try to hurt us. It's not just to those that we like and those that we prefer. That love is supposed to be extended to all people. That's why Scripture tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 and 44. It says that you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those persecute you. So I, I just want to include that thought because I don't want you to, to leave here with the, with the misconception thinking that all you have to do is love believers and you're uh, exempt from having to display love towards non-believers. No, that's not the case. We're to love all. But in this letter that John has written, he is specifically addressing an issue within the church where there were some people who professed to be believers who were de demonstrating hateful attitudes towards other believers, and he's trying to correct that behavior. Now, I, I asked you earlier to open your Bibles to John chapter 17. Let's go there real fast. Because in John chapter 17, it contains the prayer that Jesus offers, and it's a prayer for people in the future. It's a prayer for believers. This is our Lord's prayer for us. It's beautiful. Look at John chapter 17, verse number, starting verse number 20. And there he says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but also who believe in me, through their word. So if you're a believer, then this is Jesus' prayer for you. Verse 21 says that they may be all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Verse 22, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. And then in verse number 23, he says, I and them and you and me, that they may be per perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. You see what Jesus just prayed for? How he prayed for us? And then verse number 21, that, that, that we would all be one. Not just that, in verse number 22, he says that we would be one just as he and the Father are one. And then he goes on in verse number 23 that we would be perfected in our unity, in, in our oneness, in our togetherness. 
Jesus gives us the what of his prayer in John chapter 17. And I'm pretty convinced that he gives us the how in John chapter 13. So you're already there. Turn your page. John chapter 13. What he prays for us is in chapter 17 that we would be one. Just like he and the Father are one, that we would be perfected in our unity. And I think he gives us the how in John chapter 13. In verse number 34 and 35, I've already read it one time before, but now I want you to see it in your Bible. There he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So how are we ever going to uh, be one? How are we ever going to be unified and experience that oneness as even Jesus and the Father were one? Well, the answer to that is through love, through selfless giving, self-sacrificing attitude from the mindset and the position of, of being a servant to one another. Jesus makes this statement before the church was ever in existence. I mean, this is before Acts occurs. In fact, Jesus gives this statement when he's gathered with his disciples leading up to his betrayal. Judas has already left to go and to betray our Lord. Jesus is teaching the other disciples that remained, and he's giving them instructions on how they're going to be able to identify those who truly believe. In other words, the church would be known as a people who love one another. You think the church is known for that today? I don't think so. I think, unfortunately, the the church is is known almost for the opposite. When one of our brothers and sisters in Christ stumble and they mess up or they get entangled with sin, why do we, instead of loving them and encouraging them and walking beside them and helping to restore them, the church too often highlights that individual sin and begin to ostracize them in, in life without any effort being made to try to help correct or to restore a brother or sister. That's why we're, we get the, the, that phrase is like the church is the only army that does what to their wounded? And that kills their wounded. Because we've, for centuries, have have failed to display proper love for one another, sacrificing for each other, esteeming one another. I mean, we look at the commandment that Jesus gives to us, and ultimately he tells us that church people are people who are meant to love one another. And don't lose sight that this is a commandment commands this. Loving one another is not optional. It's not an elective that you can either choose or, or reject. It's, it's, it's commanded of us. And back to the language of 1 John chapter 2. Remember back in verse number 6, it says that the one who says that he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. 
ought. We are obligated. We are indebted to. We owe that, that response. So Jesus has every right to command us to love one another because he displayed that type of love for us. Now he turns around and says, you that have received my grace, my love, and my forgiveness, you I want to be an instrument of my love into a dark and wicked world. And then it starts in here. We'll never be able to adequately love the lost if we are consistent in failing to love those that are found. We have to love one another. But we say that, and I've said it over and over again, love one another, love one another, love one another. But what in the world does that even mean? How do we love one another? I think we get confused sometimes, and we don't have a clear idea of it because of what we have done with the English language to the word love. I mean, we, we love all kinds of things. They're just strange to declare our love towards. I mean, okay, so I'll use me as an example, not to put you on the spot, but I'll just, for, for example, like during this period of, of, of living in this stay safe, stay home past two months and stuff, it has caused all of us to make significant changes and adjustments to our lives and to our schedules and and so what I'm saying is not unique to me. I get it. There are other people that are struggling with greater things and, and bigger dilemmas than, than me right now. But, but in our family, how this has played out has been, you know, at times difficult to see. I mean, going back, it seemed like just the other day, we were, uh, Casey was driving to Missouri so that she could pick up uh, two of our kids to bring home for spring break. They're still there. No, that's a good thing. I didn't mean it like that was bad. But, but there, now there's no return. There's no return back to school. Uh, Tyler, he's a senior. He's graduating this year. There's, there's no, uh, he's supposed to have a big art show uh, as his senior project. There's none of that. Graduation, online graduation is Saturday. He, he ain't even interested in watching it glad because I'm not interested in watching it either. It's just so weird. It's so different. And everybody's, everybody's having to make adjustments. Thankfully, we got Logan back from Africa right before all this craziness began to happen. But I can't imagine that my son is really tired of being home. He's used to a different lifestyle. He, he's used, he's been on his own for, for the past few years. And now he's He's stuck with family and things that are having to change, and like it, it, it's difficult. One of the things that I was really looking forward to is um, uh, we were going to take a family vacation together. It's been years since we've done something just to get away as a family without going to visit other family in the process because that's just a visit. That's not a vacation. There's something different in that, and so we had made plans that we were going to go on a cruise, uh, and well, that's not happening now. We have this, you know, grand idea. We're going to take a cruise together. Uh, we've never gone uh, from the port in New Orleans, and so we were going to go to New Orleans and spend a couple days and get on a ship and spend that time together, and all this craziness has changed all of that. Thankfully, we've got an awesome travel agent working on our behalf, and now we're getting feedback from the 
the cruise industry and like, hey, you want to rebook your cruise? And I'm like, yeah, I want to rebook it. Because now we've gone from a four-day cruise to a five-day cruise, from a decent room to now rooms with balconies and I mean, room credits, all this stuff. And people are like, are you really going to go? I'm like, well, I, I don't know. We'll find out. My thinking is by the time August rolls around, they're probably going to cancel it again. And I'm fine. Cancel it again. And then I'll just upgrade to a longer cruise and a better room and that kind of thing. But now that we're looking at, I say all that to get to the point. What I'm trying to say about love is now we're looking to leave from Galveston. If you've been down to Galveston, if you're familiar with that area or anything, there's a restaurant that's really close to where we would be departing from. And that restaurant is a place called Bubba Gump's. I don't know if you ever had Bubba Gump's before. Some of your eyes are watering now because you have. You just, just that thought. Like Bubba Gump, I love Bubba Gump's. I don't even uh, need a menu uh, before I get there. I want the shrimp shack mac and cheese. That's it. Man, that, I mean, think it is, it is sautéed shrimp with macaroni, with, with, with that freshly grated gooiness of cheddar cheese, Monterey Jack, and Parmesan cheese, golden crumbled breadcrumbs on the top of it. Yeah, I got issues. I love mac and cheese. I love Bubba Gums. And I say all that, and then I turn around and I use that same word to describe my feelings and my affection that I have towards my wife. And it just seems so unfair to her. I love Bubba Gumps. I love mac and cheese. I love the Dallas Cowboys and the torture of always thinking they're going to do something and always being disappointed. But I love that, and I love my wife. Something doesn't seem right in that, right? I've been with her. We've been married 27 years. She's the greatest friend and influence physical influence in my life. And so I've loved a restaurant. I've loved food. I've loved a sports team. And I love my wife. And Jesus commands me to love one another. And what in the world am I supposed to do with that? What does he mean? Am I to love one another in the same way that I love a restaurant? Or am I to love one another in the same manner to which I love my spouse and my family? And think about a restaurant. A restaurant feeds me. But it doesn't feed me for free. It renders a service to me. And I get to partake of that service. And if it's an excellent experience, then I get to, you know, post a picture on social media and tell other people how great it was. If it's a poor experience, then I can post a picture on social media and tell everybody how awful it was. But that's a restaurant. My wife, and that's someone I am intrinsically connected with. My love for my wife isn't based upon feelings. It isn't based uh, upon what I'm receiving or, or what I'm experiencing. May you know that love is not a feeling at all. Love is a choice and a decision that we make. Hey, you do not fall in or fall out of love. 
the reason why you lost that loving feeling is because you chose to lose it. You choose whom you love, and you choose how you love. And so because I love my wife, I will care for her. I will stand beside her. I will defend her. I will do everything that I can to make sure that she always has uh, Cokes in the refrigerator and pineapple coconut water in the refrigerator. That she always has a, a, a fresh pair of running shoes. Like I, like I know her. I love her. And I want to provide even the simplest of things just to honor her. We're committed to go through this life together no matter what. Through the good times, through the bad times, through the ugly seasons of life. We're committed to one another. And that's it. Divorce is a, a word that would never come up in our conversations. That's not an option. We exchange vows, and they mean something that we will love, honor, and cherish until the Lord shall separate us by death. I say all that because I want you to realize that church was never meant to be treated like a restaurant. Church was to be treated or embraced like a marriage relationship. The church is meant to be based upon loving relationships. And first and foremost, that relationship is rooted in Jesus Christ. Once you accept Christ into your life, submit to him and receive him as Savior and Lord of your life, then you are not only in a relationship with Jesus, by extension, you are also in the relationship with other believers. So yes, you're, you are in relationship with Jesus, but you're also in relationship with his family. And that's the one another. And so we're to love Jesus, to honor Jesus, to serve Jesus, and to love, honor, and serve one another. We're not supposed to treat church like a restaurant. It's a mistake. But we're guilty of doing it all the time. You know that you treat church like a restaurant when, when you begin to stop attending because of something that was said or because of one person and what they did. You know, when you make decisions based upon feelings, it, it becomes a very dangerous territory to get into. The church should be valued and viewed for the relationship that it is established through your faith and trust in Jesus. Got to stop treating the church like a restaurant because it is beyond unfortunate when we do that because it sets up the church for expectations that the church was never meant to fulfill in the first place. God's word commands us to love each other selflessly, sacrificially, which means in our love for one another. That means that we're actually kind to each other. We're, we're thoughtful. We give great consideration. We, we esteem others as being more important than, than ourselves. And so with all that being said, I guess my question for you today is, how would you grade yourself on your love for one another? What needs to change in your life 
so that you can properly love the way God would want us to. He gave us his son. And those who believe and trust in him receive life. And this life is supposed to be lived for the glory of God. So may we embrace that. And may we clean up the image of the church, the big C church, universal church, by us becoming a church in this community that is known for its love for each other and love for its community. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for who you are. And I thank you for the great love that you displayed for us in sending your son. God, help us to to truly embrace the call that you've placed upon us to walk just like Jesus. Today, Father, help us to to focus on our love, how we love you and how we love each other. God, may you be honored and glorified in all that we do and all that we say. Ultimately, Father, may we realize that our lifestyle, who we are and what we do, do will override what we say. Either our, by our actions, we will reveal that we truly know you or are walking in the light and are doing and striving to become more and more the image and reflection of your son, or by what we do and what we say, we'll reveal that those are just words, words that are disconnected from a heart that's truly committed. Father, I pray that each and every one of us would receive Christ as Lord and Savior, and that we would submit our lives to live holy for your honor and for your glory. It's in Christ's name I pray.